Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. I am your host, Larry Brown. My co-host, Vaughn Atine, former 212 Olympia competitor, is still out uh, rescuing the streets of New York City, uh, the fake Gotham City of what I call it. So he'll be back soon. But today I'm very happy to have joining me. I'm, I'm hoping I don't pronounce your last name wrong. Is it Coley? Yeah, it's pronounced Kali, but everybody says Coley, but it honestly, it does not matter. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't want to mispronounce your name as a dog breed. So Jason Colley, uh of PRS Training Systems, welcome to the show today. How are you? Good, Larry. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So a uh, little backstory between me and Jason. Uh, when I was a poor intern working for Muscular Development or Flex, I don't even remember um, there was a local competitor back home in Chicago by the name of Eric Posaple. Had to go out to export to film him. Uh, Jason picked me up from the train station because I took the train, the Metra out there, which is a, a county train system, so to speak. And Jason dropped me back off at the train station. So we got into a conversation. And at the time, Jason was powerlifting. And the first thing I noticed about him is how thick of a physique he had if he buckled down uh, on the diet and added some more bodybuilding training and he could really do some damage. Uh, so Jason, tell us how you got started into everything uh, Iron Game wise. Yeah, Iron Game wise, again, I started in college um, powerlifting there um, because I needed something to do uh, in terms of off training sports during football season. That's where I got a scholarship to play football. Uh, but my roommates were pretty big bodybuilders too. So we all kind of dicked around in terms of how we trained. And back then it was a typical, you know, the bro body part split, very, very high value, very, very high um, intensity. Um, and it was just balls to the walls. And, but we had the ability to recover and do what we wanted. So um, it, was, it was pretty fun. I quickly learned how not to train um, during that time. Um, progressed out of college. Still wanted to have that competitive edge and picked up the powerlifting. So that's where I met the Lily Bridges. Um, and they're probably one of the one of the strongest and most well-known powerlifting families in the country. Um, their sons are both extremely strong. Um, they've produced multiple world record holders that you know have all since passed the team, but have now gone on to do huge things in terms of powerlifting world. So that's where I gained a, a majority of my thickness in my body in terms of the density, um, squatting, deadlifting, bench pressing. Uh, literally rotating those threes and wave loading those those three through progressive cycles linearly um, just got me brutally strong and brutally dense. Um, and I think that's one thing that that is missing in the beginning of most trainee programs is now they're seeing so much high level training in terms of the specificity of body part training and technique and things like that. They don't realize that everybody doing this has had five, 10 years of just literally pushing squat, bench, and deadlifts and those type of movements to build density and then they refine their skills. So I'm lucky that was kind of forced and pushed upon me. Um, got banged up, had some injuries, realized that powerlifting wasn't something that was going to be long-term. Um, so then I continued to go into bodybuilding, uh, met Eric during that time through that whole transition a little bit before. So then I kind of picked up bodybuilding and then been there ever since. Now you mentioned you train with the Lilla Bridges. So I know it's a lot of new school people on here and I know everyone's deep into it's not even bodybuilding anymore. It's hypertrophy training or whatever. <laughs> um, tell us about the experience training with the Lilla Bridges. And at that particular time, raw powerlifting was relatively 
uh, new, like people were transitioning out of uh, multi-gear or multiply gear, um, realizing that a lot of the programs out there weren't uh, applicable to them. But then you had this small group of guys, uh, you know, you had the Lilla Bridges, the France Power Team out in Aurora. Uh, it, tell us how it was training with them and the intensity that they brought to the table every training session. Yeah, it was it was definitely a a learning experience in terms of um, I'd say the bigger the biggest overall thing I took away from it was watching how precise and technique uh, needed to be in order to in order to see results. Um, if you look at the their, their two sons and the high level athletes that were there, not a single rep looked different from rep to rep. Whether it was a triple a rep of five, rep of eight, every single rep was extremely identical. And they standardized that rep technique and they built upon that then with volume, then with intensity, uh, and then whatever other metrics they wanted. But they treated those reps as if it was the holy grail of their whole entire workout. It wasn't the weight. It wasn't the, the program or the, or the accessory movements. It was every single movement was mechanically and biomechanically correct every single time. And it became second nature. I mean, when I used to watch Eric Lubridge, it was, this, it was as if his brain shut off and his body just did the work. Um, and it just meticulously went through that. And I think there's, there's something special to, to having that type of brain uh, power uh, and letting that kind of just, you know, that flow state kind of happen. And then you, you continue to move on. But that was something that was um, that I'll, I'll never forget and take into every, every coaching experience, every personal training experience, every, every uh, teaching experience is as meticulous as that. You bring up a good point. Um, I know we both follow Jordan Peters and his, his thing is standardize the rep first and then add load. But you were doing that with the Lillibridges before that even became a popular thing to do. So how did that training influence a lot of your training uh, that we see currently today? In terms of myself or with my clients or just in general? Just in general. Yeah, I think, again, um, there's, there's no patience in, in the iron game right now. And everything, everybody wants to get that tissue and find the quickest way of doing it. Uh, and when in the beginning, the quickest way to getting to your path is actually slowing down and learning how to do the technique 100% correctly and effectively. Um, and again, knowing that standardizing your rep is going to take time, therefore, you might have to have a higher volume to reach that intensity level and that scale of fatigue. Um, but again, people are hearing and seeing that volume is bastardized. You know, it's too much volume is bad. Too much volume is bad. You want to kill it in one or two sets. And that may be understandable for someone who's not so much a beginner, but for someone who's more a beginner and learning to standardize rep techniques, they need overall more volume to bring in that fatigue state so they can have an elicit a change that they're looking for. Um, so there's a balance between volume intensity and that technique standardization when you're a beginner and when you're an advanced trainee. And I think sometimes right now in today's society, it gets misconstrued. And they automatically assume, well, if I need to do one or two sets, I need to start doing that right off the bat. And it's like, bro, you haven't even learned how to strain. You haven't even learned how to standardize your reps. You can't even train close to failure. So those things are prerequisites to get to that Jordan Peters level where you can do that. And I think oftentimes that's missed. 
that you you bring up another interesting point. Um, seeing that we both kind of had a, a powerlifting background, me much later than you, learning how to strain, even in bodybuilding, that's very important because I don't think people get like growing up, they're like, oh, don't strain your muscle, don't do that, don't do, do, do that. But when we're thinking in terms of a of a of a training standpoint, you have to learn how to strain to get those, what we call the growth producing reps, the reps that are going to count the most. So say a beginner gets to intermediate level and they still don't know how to strain against the weights. What cues would you give a person at that point? So often what I do is I don't so much give them cues in terms of actual movement mechanics. What I'll actually do is give them actual exercises with different straining patterns that teach them how to strain. So it's way harder for an individual to strain through a full range of movement. So what I might have them do is learn to strain in an isometric. So instead of them doing a regular dumbbell press or a barbell press or any sort of press, I'll have them do maybe, you know, from the powerlifting days, those dead stop rack presses where they're on the ground or in the floor press position or bench press position. And they're pushing a bar into a, you know, a pin and they're pushing as hard as they can and pushing as hard as they can and keeping form. And so that's a safer technique and a safer way of teaching them how to strain without actually them having to go through a range of motion. Um, the same thing for, um, you know, squats and, and different movements like that is again, learning and teaching them to use ISO holds and isometrics to build that intensity because it's the safest way of doing it. And again, they're going to understand what it teaches them when it, they're going to understand what it feels like to strain because that muscle is fatiguing in a, in a state, uh, especially a short state. Um, so I use those as a huge guideline in terms of how I teach my people to strain. Um, and then I, I transfer them over into kind of full range based movements where they can learn to strain. Um, and that's pretty much how I do it. I want to go back to your life a little bit. Where'd you grow up at? Chicago. Yeah. Oh, you, you born, born and raised in a city. Born and raised in the city. Yep. Campbell Warner, that North side of Chicago. Okay. Park. Yeah. That's where I was born and raised. Uh, family moved out to the suburbs, just like kind of a real good old story. Um, was out there for a long time, went to college, came back, uh, was out there for a couple more years after that, and then moved back to the city. How do you like living in the city right now? My, my area is great. I mean, the area I live in is, is nice. Um, the city is the city that it has its good spots, it has its bad spots, it has its good moments, it has its bad moments, but um, you take the good with the bad and you adjust. I was supposed to actually uh, come back in middle of September, but just so many things started happening. New baby on the way, contest prep, just moved into a, 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 a home. So uh, just so many things uh, happening. So I was going to contact you for a training session and we're going to get into how people can contact you. Uh, for training sessions, but I want to get into uh, structure of workouts, right? So yeah. I know a lot of people preach full body, push, pull legs is a big one that is going on right now. What What is something that is easily digestible for the general human being as far as a workout structure, right? So some people don't know what to do when they first walk in. Um, what should they first do if they're like brand new to the gym? Um, so from, from what I'm hearing, I guess we're talking more about just general population people. Just gen pop right now. Yeah. 
So in talking in reference to more general population, those individuals and how I set them up, they're gonna be more uh, movement-based oriented. And so I'm gonna break their training up into movement-based uh, patterns. So whether that's a hinge-based pattern, uh, a knee-bend pattern, uh, a unilateral-based pattern, a rotational pattern, um, anti-extension, anti-flexion, um, overhead, horizontal press, vertical press, things like that. That's how I'm gonna break that up. Um, and most of the time, I'm not going to put them up in a position where they're training just one, uh, one pattern in one session. They're gonna train an upper pattern and a lower pattern in a session. Um, and then they're gonna probably train two, three times a week. So it is full body. Um, and it's mostly gonna be an upper pattern, a lower pattern, uh, uh, some sort of spinal flexion or extension or anti of those. Um, and then I'm gonna alternate that during the week. So per session, their general warm-up is just a general warm-up that consists of you know five to 10 minutes on a treadmill just to get blood flowing, body temperature rising, fluid moving. Um, after that, they're gonna get into more of a, a specific, a specific uh, preparatory uh, prehab uh, a routine in which is geared more towards that day's goal. So if we're working overhead patterns, if we're working hinge-based patterns, we're getting the pelvis to move, we're getting the core to fire in terms of anti-extension, anti-flexion, we're getting the bracing stuff going, we're getting breathing going. Um, and anything more specific that's general to their actual restrictions, limitations, mobility, uh, stability, things like that, we're gonna address there quickly. And then we're gonna go into our into that first dominant uh, hinge pattern-based movement. Whether that's upper or lower kind of depends on how I feel like and what I feel like is more um, essential in their progress and what's more detrimental to their goals. And then I'm going to alternate and then I'm going to put in some more hypertrophy work at the end and then some core trunk work at the end as well. Now, let's shift from beginner to more advanced. Does the movement uh, base stay in or are we looking at more of a of a bro methodology when we're, yeah. when we're approaching that. So it does definitely to an extent. Um, so I am, I am looking at their movement patterns and I am looking at their ability to keep position because if their ability to keep position is not there, then they're not going to be able to strain and they're not going to be able to isolate that tissue in that position. So if their movement quality is shit, I'm still basing their program on movement patterns and the ability to create better functional movement patterns so they can load those patterns. Because if your pattern position is poor, there's no sense in loading it. So it is part of the assessment and it is part of the actual um, training. So if an individual who's more tissue specific, hypertrophy specific is coming to specifically build a body part, let's say I'm coming to build my legs or I'm coming to build my back. I'm looking at the movement patterns, let's say for back, for example, I'm looking at the movement patterns of thoracic extension. I'm looking at the moving patterns of scapular humeral rhythm, upward rotation, um, internal external rotation of the shoulder and humeral joint. Like I'm looking at those things to see what their capacity of movement is. And if it's shit, we're going to fix and address that. And if it's good enough to continue with small tweaks, then we're going to push the tissue loading stuff and we're going to push the exercise selection and things like that. So it kind of depends on where the individual's at in terms of is their movement capacity of movements poor? If it's not, we're going to go a little bit, jump to hypertrophy building. What's the hardest thing to program or not even program? What's the hardest thing to beat inside of an advanced person who's been around the block a few times? Oh, um, <laughs> I, I'd say from, from, from that perspective, a lot of times it, it's, 
there's not one way to skin a cat. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the dogma and the nostalgia of certain protocols, certain training protocols and things like that. Um, I like I love what big Mike Van Wick is doing out in Canada right now in terms of how he's opening up and changing the minds of individuals of loading versus tissue loading, joint loading versus muscle loading, movement with the whole entire body in terms of how it flows together. And he and I have had conversations on Instagram about how our philosophies kind of blend uh, and how they kind of, you know, are, are identical in terms of how we treat the, the training. And I think that's one of the biggest things is, is people kind of lose sight that your, your way is not the only way. Um, and I also think that individuals try and get caught up in too many specific tasks per one session. You know, there's a, a lot of the new guys these days, and I see it at quads all the time, is they're trying to lift heavy weight and get strong, but they're also trying to be big at the same time. And a lot of times it's very, very difficult, especially for a newbie to do both at the same time. And they don't realize that their prerequisite, there's prerequisites to both of those that you need to have before you do, uh, do those, you know? And if they would understand that, you know, being more specific in one for a short amount of time and then be specific in the other for a short amount of time and then alternating back and forth, that's a better way to go. Interesting. So I want to, I want to, I want to share my screen here. So just give me one second. Uh, doo -doo -doo. We'll do this. I believe, believe I'm able to. Uh, camera. Good Lord. I don't even know how to do this thing. Um, I'm sorry. In any of it, let me see if I can. Let me see if I can pull this up. But I want to ask you another question while I pull this up. So do you feel that a lot of advanced guys are emotionally attached to training? So it's very hard for them to get rid of certain methods and certain exercises. For instance, I have a love-hate relationship with squats. I've gotten rid of them, but I also have a transformer bar on the way, so I'm going to throw them back in. Um, do you think people need, if they let go of that emotional attachment, that they're able to progress a little bit better? Oh, 100%. Uh, when, it, when it even comes to types of training, individual exercises, exercise selection, um, intensities, things like that. Absolutely. The, the emotional attachment, uh, is something that you have to remove in order to create the, the task and check off the tasks. Um, I, I had, and I had a kind of to dive in more specific to me for, for a while there, I could literally only train legs on the weekend. It was, it, it was, I was emotionally attached to the idea of me only being able to give enough effort and be able to train legs on the weekend. And when I was forced to train in the middle of the week, I had to let go of that emotional attachment and just say, get the fucking job done. Um, and you, you adjusted and you learned. Um, and I think that's extremely important is if you're a coach and a high level trainer, uh, you can have an emotional attachment to things, but you can't let that emotional attachment stop you from doing your job, which is getting the results for your client or the, the results for yourself or whoever you're training. Um, so you have to use bits and pieces to what's uh, in your toolbox to get the results that you need. Um, and if you're just doing what you're emotionally attached to, whether that, that's a certain type of training system, a certain exercise, you're doing yourself and you're doing your clients a disservice. So, With, with more of the uh, intermediate people, like 
training a beginner and then training an advanced eight advanced. I always say when you're training advanced people, everything depends on uh, what's going on with that person. Same for a beginner, but intermediates are a little bit trickier because they're trying to go from good to great or from great to outstanding. How do you approach the intermediate trainer? Uh, the immediate intermediate trainee. Yeah. Yeah. So again, I'm looking at a few things. Um, and look at, I'm looking at training age, you know, how long have they been training? And not only that, how long have they been training correctly? Um, because I'll see people that, that have, you know, over five, six, seven years of training in their, in their belt. Um, and I get them and they're labeled as intermediates and they're not intermediates yet. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there's a bigger jump from beginning to intermediate than there is from intermediate to advanced. Um, and I think that the difference between the intermediate to advanced is just being able to understand and remove those emotional attachments to exercises and things like that. And the ability to hone in just a little bit more in terms on being a little bit more robot-like in terms of standardizing of reps, sticking to a program, making sure your obstacles are, that are, are that are limiting you are removed. I think that gap is a lot smaller than it is from beginning to intermediate. And I think the big jump from beginning to intermediate is learning those things that we talked about, learning how to strain, learning how to standardize reps, taking years to build a foundation uh, and the density and the structure of your tissues. And then once you're at that position as an intermediate, then you can begin to be more specific in terms of now you're changing angles, now you're manipulating tempo speeds, now you're manipulating intensifying techniques and what have you. Uh, and then you can make that gap. But I think being in that immediate phase, um, that's where you get more goal specific in terms of um, what your goals are in terms of hypertrophy and tissue building and, and physique building. You get more specific, then your goals become more specific, but then your tasks become more specific. And that gap becomes smaller and then you can make that jump a little bit sooner. Let's get into, let's get into nutrition a little bit. I understand you do have a coach, but what is your personal philosophy on nutrition that you translate to clients? Um, That's different with everybody. Um, Most of my clients, um, I don't do any competitive preps for people. I'm not, I'm not a prep coach. Um, I do nutrition that coincides with my client's goals. um, And I, and I do that in order. Most of those are body composition um, goals. Um, so drop body fat, increase lean tissue, better physique, things like that. Um, and most of the time individuals aren't eating enough to begin with. They don't understand the amount of actual food that's needed to kind of keep the system going. Um, I'm a very big proponent in high protein. So I like setting people up on a higher protein. Um, it may not be something that's continuously throughout their whole entire uh, nutritional protocol. Uh, but it is something that, that usually they're under eating, they're not used to it. And it has a pretty big profound effect on metabolism, um, satiety, things like that, that go a long way for establishing a nice, healthy routine um, for the general population. Um, I like, I definitely stick most of my clients to and adhere to kind of a higher training day caloric intake and kind of a lower calorie day on a non-training day intake. Um, nutrient timing and carb timing is essential. But again, all these things have to coincide with the individual's lifestyle and how that kind of fits in. So if they're a dad, you know, of, of two, you know, being, you know, saying that, you know, you have to eat up a piece of Tupperware, you know, with your kids and family at night, it's not really realistic. So we adjust things that are going to be more according to them and their lifestyle. 
while still being able to kind of hone in towards that goal of whatever it may be. Okay. I want to bring in your Instagram feed here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen since I finally got it working. And let's see here. All right. Can you see it? Yeah. Okay. Heavy hack squat here. Explain to me what's going on as far as your setup and what are you thinking about as you proceed through each rep? Yeah. So this was, this was second exercise in. So prior to this was leg presses. Um, and those were leg presses were two sets of 20 ish with three second eccentrics. Um, so my legs were pretty toast and didn't take a lot here to get the job done. Um, I use the back roller. I don't know if you can see, I use a slight forward lean. Um, and that's because I really want myself to be kind of upright and forward on top of my quads and not so much leaning back into my ass. Um, it does give a little bit more hip flexion. Um, but because I'm not literally coming all the way down as low as I can, I'm limiting that hip flexion, but I am, again, I'm, I am forcing myself to lead with my knees. You can see right there at the beginning, every set, every rep, I'm pushing my knees forward and I'm literally getting as much bend and flexion as I can at that knee and at that ankle. Um, and then when I'm coming up, I'm not actually pushing into the platform. I'm actually thinking about extending my knee, uh, like a knee extension. Um, and so while I'm keeping that kind of braced pattern in my trunk, I'm literally thinking, extend the knee backwards, extend the knee backwards instead of pushing into the actual platform. And that intent and that cue kind of goes a long way. Um, this was actually the first week of my first week of the rotation between the exercises that I use right now, my current rotation. So I was happy for this for six plates for 10 reps and hopefully I'll work up to seven or eight plates over the next, you know, couple me mesocycles of uh, prep here. And I know a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of people don't know about the nebula leg press, but that's probably one of the most heavy duty leg presses uh, that's ever been made. And is basically uh, the precursor to what we see now and arsenal strength. I want to share another picture uh, right here. We'll get to this picture in a minute because I like this one. But right here, what's the, you got some heavy dumbbells right here. Talk us through this one. Yeah. So I, again, I have been since, since powerlifting, I've had an extremely strong chest, extremely thick chest. I, my personal best for barbell bench press was 501 and it was easy. Um, so more of my training now with my coach has been understanding that we need to put more structure in terms of how the, the, the chest looks uh, rather than its density because it's already there. So here we, we focus a lot on time under tension in terms of slow eccentrics, um, big stretches, and uh, a really, really only really training the upper pec in that kind of clavicular position. So <clears throat> I love I love this 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 incline in this position for upper pec. Um, and I'm really thinking, again, I'm pushing my sternum and that clavicle to the sky, and I'm thinking abduction, driving those biceps towards the pec and squeezing. And I'm using as much control and sticking to that three-second eccentric as much as I can while I'm, I'm lowering it. Um, but for me, because, I, I'm, again, I'm moving such heavier loads, um, I'm, I'm sticking to an exercise maybe three weeks, and then I'm deloading that fourth week. So I'm trying to push that, that, that wave three weeks quickly, boom, boom, boom. And then I'm deloading that fourth week, at least on my upper body, my lower body is a little bit more dominant in terms of uh, its ability to, to go longer with more volume, 
but for my upper body, um, it's three weeks and then it's done. So usually I'll standardize the beginning load in, in week one, week two, I'll move to progress that load in reps and or weight week three, I'll try and do it again. And then depending on how I feel in week three, I might take it for a fourth week or it might do load in that fourth week. So this was week two. Uh, I believe the week after that I did it for 11. And then the week after that I missed the 12th and then I deloaded the week after. So is, I'm going to stop sharing my screen real fast. So is the way that you set up your uh, push and then your deload, is that found in literature? Or is that just something that you've experimented with? Uh, it, it was, it was something me and my coach kind of looked at uh, and found um, via kind of using our markers for recovery. So I woke up one week, it's not too long ago, my morning blood sugar was higher. My resting heart rate was higher. I had missed the, the, the lift that I was really pumped up to get in week four the day before. Um, my weight was up slightly. I had a bit of a watery, inflamed look to me. Um, and we knew right there based on those markers that I needed recovery. Um, so during that rest of the week, which was last week, we've kind of pushed everything to more of a two to three RIR. I just went off the weeks before um, reps and load and I just missed, I just purposely took everything back by a rep or two. And honestly, it, it made a huge difference within the end of this week. My resting heart rate was back down. My blood sugar was under control. Uh, Check-in pictures Friday were completely different. So um, again, you have to look at different markers in terms of not just your performance in the gym, but how your body is actually functioning in terms of a system and how that relates to your training. I want to get into health markers a bit. It's something that has absolutely exploded in bodybuilding and yeah. I'm very happy that it's happened. Uh, how important are monitoring health markers for bodybuilding? I think it's, it's essential. There's, there shouldn't be uh, any question to it. Um, I'm lucky to have, have Trey, who's extremely knowledgeable and extremely uh, um, tacit in his understanding of these things. Uh, it's the first prep and first coach that I've actually had any, 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 um, this much understanding of the actual subject. Um, so it's something that's pretty awesome. It's taught me a lot about myself. It's taught me a lot about how it blends in with the system and how it, how it works. Um, and so, you know, it's something that I was honestly say that I was kind of putting on hold in the past, uh, when I was with certain supplements. Um, but now it's, it's something that's a non-negotiable and it's something that we both, um, you know, take very seriously. And it has tremendously paid off in terms of, uh, my health and where my markers are and how I've been able to progress over my good off season and into this prep. So we can, well, there's a lot of people that, that don't watch their health markers because they don't really take note of them in the off season. How important is a good off season for that pre-contest period? Because we often think of the pre-contest period as just beat your body into the ground, but for you to be able to do that, and there are going to be periods that pre-contest can get a bit grimy. How important is the off-season? Because a lot of people in the off-season is just really, uh, for lack of a better better term, fuck about. Yeah, yeah you're 100% correct. This was the first time where I had a structured uh, coach for an off-season for a lengthened period of time. And again, I think it was about 40 weeks, 45 weeks total. Um, and I went from, 
you know, a 220-ish body frame um, to 260. Uh, and, I, and I still had abs and I still had my ab outline and it was very respectable. Um, but I think that the reason is, is it's, it's not fucking exciting at all. It's daunting in terms of how much you have to eat on a daily basis um, in order to even see that the scale move. Um, you know, I was getting up towards 6,500 calories, um, you know, with weekly cheats. And it was, it was just excruciating, not only on, on my life, but financially, it's, it's a huge undertaking as well. But what that did was, is it literally forced my body, allowed my body to be able to stay leaner with a huge amount of calories. And then when I cut down for a kind of a fat loss phase, I was dieting on 3,000, 3,500 calories with diddle to squat cardio and, and daily walks. I mean, and that was it. And now going into prep, I'm literally 230, 235, um, you know, and I look about eight, eight weeks out, 10 weeks out, right around there, and I'm 15. So it set me up tremendously. And I honestly have no clue as terms of what I am going to look like because I've never been in this position in terms of, uh, I've always been having to grind, like we talked about, in order to get to stage lean. Uh, and I don't ever think I've been stage lean because I've only competed, one, competed once, prepped twice. Um, so like I said, this is something that, again, it's more, more so of a endeavor for me to see how it's going to work out. And so far it's, you know, it's paying off. Absolutely. So I want people to see how you uh, look, you posted this on Instagram, uh, not too long ago, uh, yeah. pop up here. There we go. Um, so this was on vacation. Yep. Now tell us what, you're trying to bring in as your prep is about to uh, begin here soon. Yeah. So I'm 15 weeks out. So here we were still about 17 or 18 and we were kind of in a prep mindset, but he really didn't consider my prep starting until I got back from vacation. So we were, I was pretty strict on here in terms of everything that we were already sticking to in terms of where we're at now. Um, I mean, from the picture, I, again, my rib cage and my waist has been thick ever since powerlifting days. So our goal really over the, over the last year and a half, two years together, however long it's been is to bring that waist down as much as possible um, and continue to do so during the, during this prep. My goal and our goal is to keep my upper body full as possible. So all my higher carb days and higher calorie days are on my low, on my upper body days and my lower body days are actually lower calories, only about 2,900. Um, and my, my lower body is not a problem. We're not losing any of it. It's not going to go anywhere, but we need that upper body to catch up as much as possible. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time of, of me diligently getting, giving more off seasons to the devotion to the upper body training. I mean, I've trained upper body twice, twice a week for push, pull with accessories and, and an arm day for the past year. So, um, and legs is literally once a week, everything combined once a week and that's it. So it's extremely genetically gifted and, and it, it doesn't take much for me to keep it and to make it better. But um, I'm learning to focus more of my efforts and control my volume and intensity and recovery on those leg days. So I have more for my weekly upper body days. Let's talk about the show that you're trying to do. What, where are you looking to uh, compete at? Yeah, I'm going to do the Shredded Cheddar, the Badger State. Uh, oh, okay. 16th in Waukesha. Okay. 
Um, and then if need be November 7th, uh, the Ironman in, in Chicago. So okay. um, those are, those are two options. Um, my girlfriend Trina is looking at, at some of those shows as well. So she's currently 15 to 18 weeks out as well. And she looks way better than I do. So um, she's, she's working with Jeff Black, who's a great coach. Um, so it's cool having two coaches and kind of bouncing and seeing what they're doing off each other and allowing us to kind of, you know, learn in the process. You mentioned that post that we just showed to hire professionals, right? Um, that they will save you a lot of time and you'll be able to learn um, as you go along. Now, as a professional yourself, how paramount has it been to you to basically outsource your training and nutrition? Uh, it's been more, it's been extremely beneficial. I mean, Trey lets me do pretty much what I want with my training within reason of his, of his recommendations. Um, that's my strength and that's, and he knows that, but his strength is nutrition and supplementation and, um, health markers. So I, I needed that in order for me to, to make the push to uh, the level I wanted to compete at. I know I needed that because I didn't have that skill. So that was dropping the ego and, and getting a professional that I knew had that skill. Uh, it's made every benefit to, to my to my progress. Um, so I think it's essential, very essential. And, and I think anybody who's willing to take a goal seriously and get to a certain level of it, they need to outsource those things to individuals who can help them streamline that process and make it easier. Um, so whether that's nutrition, training, programming, whatever it is, um, it's essential. Now, uh, for a lot of people that don't know, um, his trainer's name, uh, let me see if I'm getting it right. Trey Buffery, correct? Trade Ruffy. Yep. Ruffy. Ruffy. Um, yeah. Known as B Opposite on uh, B Opposite 23, I believe. Yep. B Opposite yes. 23 on Instagram. How did you guys link up? So he was he was pretty quiet on Instagram for a long time. But when he did put up things, it it, it hit on spot on. Um, and it, he's a younger kid. He's younger than me. Uh, but I don't I don't see age as something that's a restriction there's there's people that are young that are brilliant at a lot of different things so i don't really buy into that shit but um i i saw what he could do with himself and i knew the knowledge base that he had because i knew he he had worked and he had studied under uh austin stout um out of columbus and i knew he was kind of involved in that whole group out there um and i know anybody out in that area when they work with austin it just, it just has a tremendous understanding so i reached out to him kind of picked his brain and then honestly, I took a chance on him and, and he took a chance on me. And, and honestly, it's worked out tremendous. Um, he's very understanding. He's compassionate. He, he explains everything. And I told him one of the biggest things that the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm, I want to learn as well. So if I have a question, I ask, it's answered. There's a reason behind it. It's not just a, here's the answer. There's no understanding of it. Um, he's literally helped me look at clients' blood work and sit me down and educate me through that in terms of, this is what we're looking at. This is the things like that. Um, and so again, we become friends, you know, and, and not just, you know, you have to keep that trainer client protocol, but we definitely become friends and have definitely kind of learned a lot off each other. I want to shift back to training a little bit. RIR versus RPE. We've had yeah. this conversation on uh, Instagram a couple of times and I need people to understand that there's nothing magical about either approach, right? But there are some nuances that 
could possibly help hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. uh, explain the difference between the two and why RIR suits hypertrophy better than RPE. So I think RPE is great from an overall effort perspective uh, in terms of how much effort you're generating. Um, great for powerlifting, great for general populations in terms of effort. I think RIR is more important for hypertrophy or works better with hypertrophy because you're talking not only about effort, but you're talking intensity of effort in approximation to failure, which is an essential component of hypertrophy and tissue-based building. So it's not just effort, but it's effort in approximation to an end goal, which is the absolute failure of a rep and eliciting that the, um, the functioning of those high motor unit threshold fibers to get that response that you're looking for. So most individuals, general population, I'm going to use an RPE scale in terms of overall effort, hardness. Uh, if I'm working with competitors, I'm looking to bring that RIR scale in because I want them to realize that it is a certain zone of effort and reps to that failure point that we're focused and honed in on and not so much just overall effort in general. That's my understanding and how I use it with my populations and my client. There might be more scientific explanation out there. I'm sure there is. But in terms of goal specificity, it's failure specific versus effort specific. That's interesting. Uh, and that's probably the best explanation of RIR that I've seen. Uh, I know Joe Bennett is actively using it uh, within his hypertrophy coach app. Uh, I know the guys at Renaissance Periodization are also using it as well. So I appreciate that uh, layman's terms of breaking it down uh, because I feel that the audience may get confused between the two. I know John Jewett actively uses uh, RIR as well. So I'm hoping that it will catch on uh, because it's something that I've been intrigued with. And now that has been broken down, even for my selfish purposes, uh, is probably something that I'll definitely use uh, on this prep going forward because I'm I'm pretty much in that beat myself into the ground type of prep because you've seen the pictures. I'm pretty fat. Um, tell me how being a certified strength conditioning specialist has helped you uh, in your training business and with your own training. Yeah. Uh, so I got my CACS when I was in, in college and it, I mean, it was just part of the course and the classes I took, but it definitely it helps me blend the understanding of what's specific conditioning actually is and how it benefits towards, um, training. Uh, for instance, I don't think any, any clients or any trainers take into the, I shouldn't say any, a lot of trainers don't take into the account of the importance of how to build up aerobic, aerobic capacity and anaerobic capacity and how that affects training and training systems in terms of um, hypertrophy training. Um, and I think, you know, I think there's a, a couple of high level coaches that actually understand this. Uh, one of them in relationship, we know, um, um, Rhino, the guy that we talked about. The, oh, the yeah, Nick. Yeah, Nick, based right, Nick, right yeah. here. Yeah, so Nick has an understanding because I've seen him and, and how he does that. Um, there's some other high level coaches that, that understand uh, you know, the under, uh, aerobic based training and how that affects uh, work capacity and things like that. Um, Alan Crest does a lot of good information out there about, about how he structures his stimulus and training and how it, it may go from a more aerobic base or anaerobic base and how that affects his hypertrophy based stuff. Um, but the strength and conditioning and the blend of the two and how to, again, 
a, a big component we talked about earlier was how to take movement pattern discrepancies and then correlate exercise selection to those movement pattern discrepancies. Uh, that was a big help as well. But uh, the CSCS is definitely geared uh, geared towards more sport area oriented um, individuals in terms of in season, off season, and those type of things. Um, the actual structure of training and those type of things, I've, I got that stuff elsewhere. To be honest, <laughs> what does it take for someone who wants to get into coaching full time, but they don't have? Uh, the necess- they don't have the background like Nick. Nick was pre-med. Uh, yourself, you took college courses. I've only I've been in the game since I was a teenager. Like I'm no expert, but I've been around the block a few times and I we follow a lot of the same sources and we pick up a lot of the same things. But someone wants to get into coaching full time. What are some things they need to do, things they need to know, prerequisites? Yeah, I think, I mean, I was lucky enough to get to get multiple degrees from my college, and those definitely helped lay the, fra- the framework and foundation for, for exercise science, strengthening performance, and those type of things. So I had a pretty good understanding of that. And then, again, following and spending money on individuals who uh, know more than you, and then taking that information, breaking it down, and then relaying that into the goals of the others is, is important. Um, I think you have to realize and understand what your specialty is going to be. Um, I know that my specialty and my strength is not nutrition. I have enough to get the job done for my goals and I'm continuing to push that level of education upwards. Um, I'm act- I just bought actually um, Jeff Sue's uh, next master class that he's doing uh, about macros and stuff like that. So I'm actually spending money to take his class to learn more so I can give back to my clients. Um, but I knew my, my tacit knowledge and my understanding and my money was in training. And so I put all my money and my effort into reading everything I can, that even if I thought it was crazy or it wasn't crazy, into, into knowing that and using that and testing it on myself and then testing on others and then refining that over 15 years. Um, so I think knowing where your strengths at, harnessing those, and then also slowly building up your weaknesses to become a, a more overall better coach is essential. But you can't be a you can't be a one trick pony and you can't be a jack of all trades. Um, so you kind of got to find a nice balance between the two in order to make um, make it work. Um, and honestly, you know, be, being a full time coach and trainer, there's a blend between the two. Uh, I'm not a full time online coach, but I do a ton half my business is that way, and half of other other businesses training. But um, <clears throat> I think, I think that's kind of the most important thing is, is finding your strength and weaknesses and honing out those. I've seen you screenshot or uh, screen record some of the programs that you do type up. How in-depth do you get for clients that sign up? Because oh, they look pretty in-depth. Yeah, yeah. I, I have an issue with like, just like, I mean, it'll be a 12, 15 page document, you know, about, you know, uh, and that's one that's just mesocycle one, you know? So um, I get pretty in depth. And the reason why is because a a lot of these times I'm not with that client in the gym. So I can't sit there and I can't spot them and I can't make technique changes and things like that. Um, Some of my clients are, I do see the gym and I program program for them. Um, I do do online feedback in terms of videos and technique corrections with my clients. Um, but again, that can only go so far. So when I'm sitting down and I'm typing out these exercises and exercise selections, 
I'm literally trying to go over the most essential cues and how to interpret those in writing so they can get an understanding of, okay, I know exactly what this looks like without even doing it based off of reading it. And so I'm reading it to myself and saying, does that make sense? Um, and so I do that for every single exercise. Um, and again, it does take time. I mean, it takes me anywhere from two to three hours to make one person's training program. Um, and that depends on, again, the level of their training and so forth. Um, I do have a basic template that I use to kind of help speed that process up, which I've built over the years. Um, but yeah, it, it takes a good amount of time in terms of the, the, the effort and the understanding of, of how I'm building those. Now we're both we're both from Chicago, and we we've you're putting in time at Quads Gym, and I've put in plenty of time at Quads Gym. How is it training at one of the premier gyms in essentially the world? You're put me on a spot here because we just had this conversation before the the, the, uh, the positive parts, positive parts. So there's there's pluses and minuses to every place, um, but I mean Dave's made an environment in which, you know, you can go and have any pick of the litter in terms of equipment and he just keeps on making it top notch. Um, I mean, there's so many pieces of equipment there that you, you can walk in and get just completely overwhelmed in terms of what to use. Everybody there is, is extremely, you know, friendly, goal oriented. It's an environment in which you want to, to train to reach your goals. Um, but just like any other public place, you're going to have people that come in and, and just like to use the gym to, to diddle daddle and piddle paddle and, and not be as serious. And sometimes that takes away from the other individuals that are there to really work towards a goal. But you have to have the understanding that a, it's not my gym, B it's not my business. Um, and it's a public place. And so if you hit, keep those things in mind and you better understand that, you know, you create the environment that you need in order to get your results done and you shouldn't rely on anybody else to try and create that environment for you. So if you're in a public place and you're in a public gym and it's not your business, then you need to be able to kind of respect that and, and do it. Um, I've seen people come in and disrespect Dave, uh, Dave's gym and I, I just won't tolerate it or the environment or the name of quads. So I think Dave is a great human being. He does a lot for every individual in that gym. He's done a lot for me. Um, and it's just, just the all around the best gym in Chicago or pretty much in the Midwest that I can think of. I want to talk about uh, the impact of COVID to um, the business. So most gyms had to close in Chicago and around the nation for a period of 30 days, if not more. Uh, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, Quads was on that 30 to 40 day-ish closure period and then it was able to open back up with measures, whatever Chicago wanted to call it. I call it a bunch of crap. Um, yeah. How did that affect your business and how were you able to rebound from that? So, yeah, we were, we were out for maybe about uh, maybe 30 to 60 days, somewhere around that. Um, I, I'm lucky enough to have a best friend that lives close by. His name's Tristan. He's my training partner. He's been for years. Um, we, he, I was able to actually train people out of his, his garage gym. And so without him, I wouldn't have been able to stay afloat. Um, I did online things in terms of online coaching, online training. I had some online clients and some virtual clients that I did. But honestly, it was it was a struggle just like anything else. I had to penny pinch. I had to budget appropriately. Uh, but I had, a, I had a lot of dedicated clients that stuck with me in any way, shape, or form that, that they could during that time because 
I believe my services offered a lot of tremendous benefits for a lot of people at that time. And they knew that and they kept doing the service. Um, and so when that finally opened up, uh, Dave literally spent um, the first month or maybe even longer, literally just opening up for the trainers when um, that first reopening period happened. Dave was operating way, way over budget in terms of how much it costs to open the gym just to allow four or five trainers to just train their client. That's it. No general population. You literally had to have an appointment with the trainer to train to use that gym. And it was about that way for a month. So Dave took a loss 100%. Um, and he did it on purpose because he knew the trainers of quads were struggling um, to keep continuing. And then once everything reopened, uh, it just kind of, it kind of blossomed back up. And then, um, you know, everybody I think realized COVID was a big shock to their system, health and, and health wise. And so business has kind of been booming. You're not too worried about the Delta variant, are you? Uh, I'm not too worried about any of that shit, <laughs> to be honest. You can, you can call you can call me whatever you want or uh, no, I, I, I don't pay attention. I'm a healthy individual. Um, I do, I do a lot more than the average person to take care of my body in every single way that I can. Um, I think that goes a long way versus anything else. So. Okay. Now let's get back into bodybuilding. Who do you like that is competitive these days? Ooh, uh, on the national or on is it pro all, all, or? all levels. Um, I mean, I, I like, on the national, I mean, on the pro level, I like looking at James Hollingshead. I love his physique. Um, I love watching Jewett. John Jewett's awesome. Um, I love the 212 class and how those guys are coming about, uh, just making that thing, that making that class kind of just look like a freaking freak show in terms of how much mass they can carry at that level. Um, so I follow a lot of those guys. Um, on the national level, I guess I, I follow people. I see people. I don't, I don't, I don't pay too much attention in terms of like directly focusing on one, but I see a lot of Nick Walker, um, Seth Vold, who just kind of won his pro card at, at junior nationals. He's got a great physique. Um, there's tons of freaks out there that I'm sure I don't know that are on the national level, um, but I don't actively go seek out and, and, and look for them. But if I see them on my Instagram, I definitely stop and take note. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm focused on doing my thing and trying to, trying to get my spot to see if I can even worthy of competing at that, at that level myself. So let's get into your business a little bit. Um, when did you found, uh, PRS? When did you, uh, start? So, yeah. PRS was founded probably about eight years ago now. Okay. So when I was with the Lily Bridges, I kind of started out there doing corrective exercises with the powerlifters and therapy and things like that in terms of fixing their squats and mechanics or injuries and things like that. So that's, it had a big demand out there because everybody's always getting injured powerlifting. It's, it's not a friendly sport to the body as much as they push it. Um, so it kind of had itself a need for that. And ever since then, it's kind of been a blend of both that therapeutic corrective blend and how it translates into training, uh, hypertrophy based training and so forth. And it's definitely evolved over the years and kind of moved away from powerlifting, so to speak, just because maybe I think I'm the face of the business. So when I do something, it kind of transfers over directly. So since I moved them in more to bodybuilding hypertrophy based business, and I've done a lot with putting content out there and how, you know, the understanding of the human body in relationship to training is essential. That's kind of how the business has kind of evolved. And, um, it's, it's definitely gone in the direction I wanted it to go let's get into uh let's get into personal life a little bit you talked about your girlfriend earlier 
earlier, Trina, how important is it to have a, a good mate in all of this thing that we call bodybuilding? Um, so it, it, without question, she's the single best thing that's ever happened to me in my life, for sure. Um, I think it's important. She, she is probably one of the most uh, emotionally ground individuals that I've ever, ever met. I mean, she has her moments with everybody else, and, and, but um, her ability to be practical and not be emotional in all aspects of life is just astounding. And um, that's something I learned from her every day, not only in prep, but in her work and her, her self-growth as a human being. Um, and I just take a lesson from her every day. So it's huge. She's, she's probably helped me grow more as a man and a human being in the last three years than, than I've ever done on my own. Um, where I would be with her without her in terms of business and, and my life, I, I have no clue. I don't try to think about that. Um, but I definitely think it's essential. I mean, um, doing a prep with her, this will be our first prep together. And so we're definitely ironing things out and, and getting to know each other in terms of how we operate in that, in that kind of strict capacity when things are like needing to be done. Um, and we just both teach each other a lot of things about compassion and understanding and being patient. Um, I think that's only making a relationship stronger. Where do you see a lot of bodybuilders in Chicago that go wrong? Because I, I, I stay kind of pretty in tune with some competitors back home. Um, but there are a lot of things I just want to grab people by the shoulders, shake them and say, no, this is not how you do it. Where do you see, because we have these, we have these hot spots that are opening up for bodybuilding. And right now you have two spots, well, three spots that come to mind, Florida, Colorado, and Dallas as hot spots for quality competitors. What do you think Chicago bodybuilders need to do to make the city a hot spot for bodybuilding? Um, I also don't think bodybuilding is going to be a hot spot in Chicago. Hmm. Um, I don't think bodybuilding per se in, in that class. I think there's a lot more individuals that like to do that classic physique. And I like to think there's a lot of individuals that like to do men's physique and have that aspect of it. Because again, um, I think that, that tenacity and understanding and that difference between bodybuilding and those other classes is completely different. Um, I don't see people training the way they need to train in order to be bodybuilders. I see the train. I see people train in a way that fits their goals with not having to do, do go to that level in that extreme. Um, so if, if I, if I don't see it, it's not here. I mean, or doesn't mean it's not here, excuse me. Maybe I'm just missing it, but, um, I, I do see, again, I only see quads, so I don't train at USA. I don't train at other gyms. I know it's definitely prevalent in there, but, um, you know, the gyms that I do go to, you know, USA, sometimes quads, uh, Brandon Beckridge's gym up in Northwest Indiana, like those are the pockets that I see. And I see bodybuilders there, but then again, I also see don't, not a lot of huge bodybuilders. Um, so again, it's, I'm not sure if it's just because there's not an already pre-established pro um, kind of presence here, um, as opposed to like those other cities where you have, you know, Colorado, you got Phil Heath, Florida, you got tons, LA, you got Flex Lewis, you got tons of those. So in terms of that pro presence and what it offers, I don't really feel that as huge in Chicago. Um, and maybe that's why, but 
yeah, I think the other classes certainly dominate a lot more than actual the bodybuilding class than anything else in Chicago. Interesting. I've always wanted the city to have be like this bodybuilding hotbed. Um, the weather does suck in the wintertime, but it literally <laughs> it literally is a place that's that's manageable um, in terms of getting around, having access to good facilities, actually having access to good food. Um, so hopefully oh, in the future. I, I agree with you. 100%. I'd like it to be that way because that would be great for business. <laughs> yeah. um, and again, you know, I work with a few a few pros right now, but again, I, I don't see that huge dominant pro presence in just in Chicago. And that's yeah, there's other myriad of reasons that's well outside of our wheelhouse. But one last yes. question before we let you go. Uh, what's next for you as far as uh, training? Like what can we see out of you in the future? And uh, what can we expect in some content? Can we expect some whiteboard sessions like John Jewett? Uh, can we expect some Instagram lives, uh, a YouTube page maybe? So the YouTube page is in works. And so I'm working with a buddy who's a, who's a good content creator and he's and we're working on that. Um, so I do want to take and start doing a little bit more, uh, um, putting out more content in terms of training, training videos and streamlining my business more towards that aspect. So look out for a lot more content. Look out for YouTube. I'm still going to be putting on my PRs, hypertrophy seminars. Um, and so we're going to continue to uh, do those seminars in person. And I'm not sure, but I might, I've, I've had some requests to have those recorded and videoed uh, to be able to have the option to purchase and watch at home. So I may do that as well. Um, so I'm going to keep putting content out for people. I'm going to keep doing my, keep doing video tutorials and things like that. Um, in terms of the business, um, I'm expanding with with hiring other trainers soon. So there's going to be more trainers that I'm going to be mentoring and building up as well to kind of build out PRs training. Um, and then I'm going to take this puppy as, as, as far. Outstanding. So yeah. um, it's 10 o'clock and I know I said an hour and a half, but it's Sunday. It's the 4th of July. So I'm gonna let you go That's on a right. holiday. <laughs> uh, hopefully you got a cheap meal going on, but if not, Stay on that diet. I had, I had my cheap Friday, man, and it, and it, it tore me up. So really, insom insomnia cookies. No, I've heard in, of them in no. Chicago. So it was it was about a two thousand. It's an ice cream sandwich. It was about two thousand calories of ice cream sandwich. It was just it was three or four scoops of ice cream with a cookie blended in in between two other cookies, and then I had all Cheval on top of that. So it was um, it, it was a good. It was my last one for a while. So. That's kind of where I went big. And but now see, I'm see that this is why I want to move back to the city for the food alone. <laughs> for the it's food nice alone. to be able. It's nice in the summertime when you can eat it. When you can't eat it, it sucks. But yeah, yeah, I know I've been having a hard time um, because again, my wife is pregnant. I have a two-year-old son, and I have a weakness for Doritos. So the last few weeks have been, yep, extremely difficult. <laughs> extremely difficult but jason thank you for joining us i really appreciate it um Thanks, try to get this up today and we'll let the people get in contact with you if people want to contact you for training we're going to put i'm going to put it down in the link in the video as a link in the video but i want to want you to tell people where they can get access to you on social media and yes yeah, so, so on instagram you can reach out to jason coley prs um, on Facebook, it's again, same thing, Jason Coley PRs. Um, if 
my email is in my Instagram, but again, it's Jason Coley at prsystemstraining.com if you want to set up a consultation, talk about anything like that. Um, but Instagram through my website, Facebook, those are three places you can definitely reach me. Okay, outstanding. Well, you guys reach out to Jason. We're going to let him go ahead and enjoy his fourth. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. And we really, really appreciate your insight and the knowledge that you've given us today. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it, man. No problem. So for Vaughn and Teen, I'm Larry Brown, and we will see you next time on the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast.